A very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast, our second edition for 2020 at a time where the women's game is going to be on full show at the ICC Women's World T20 Cup getting underway later this week with Australia taking on India in the opening game at the Sydney Showground Stadium. A very exciting time indeed and we are chatting to someone today who has been there and done that. She's played two tests for Australia, 48 one-day internationals, 40 T20 internationals and over 100 games for New South Wales and a very impressive record indeed. A four-time Belinda Clark medal winner for the premier female cricketer in New South Wales. We're going to ask her about her time playing for Australia. We're going to ask her about where her passion for the game started and some of her influences in her life and in cricket in general. And we'll talk through some of the key moments of her career. And of course, I'm talking about the one and only Leah Poulton, and she will be joining us very soon. And before we do that, though, make sure you take a moment to stop, revive, subscribe to the Cricket Library podcast at whatever podcast provider you prefer to listen to. It could be Spotify, it could be iTunes, it could be Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever. You know where you like to listen. But please make sure you subscribe. Please make sure you leave a review if you are able. It always helps to get the word out there. There's been some good guests we've had on the show recently and a good chance for you to catch up on some of those if you've missed them. But without any further ado, it is now time to bring you our guest on today's program. It is our special guest, Leah Poulton. It's a very warm welcome to Leah Poulton. Thanks for joining us on the Cricket Library podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on that. Well, first of all, Leah, you, you've been around cricket circles for a long time now. You, you've played at the highest level and you, you're currently involved in coaching, but I'd love to know where your passion and love of the game started. My journey into cricket is probably really typical of, of most kids in Australia. I, I started playing in the front yard. We had a, a really cool little street that was a close, um, but was a, the perfect kind of front yard cricket venue, I suppose, where all the kids around the street um, were able to jump out on the road and um, start games every afternoon um, without being interrupted by traffic. So um, that was probably my first um, introduction into it, and I loved it. And um, yeah, I started in club cricket, I think, when I was about 10 and um, have been involved in the game ever since. So, um, yeah, I suppose it's pretty typical Australian, um, you know, introduction into cricket. Now, were your parents involved at cricket in cricket at all? I understand your dad was a prop forward who played in the Newcastle Rugby League competition. Um, did, did dad or mum have any influence on your cricket there at all in your younger years? Yeah, look, Dad Dad was a really good rugby league player, as you say. He was involved in elite rugby league as both a player and a coach. Um, he did play cricket, but he wasn't that great. <laughs> he, 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 did, he did tell me all the things that he knows about cricket still to this day, but um, I, I went and watched him play kind of park cricket. Um, he played, I think, fifth grade and stuff like that. But he, he loved cricket, but, but wasn't um, elite. Um, but certainly when, when I 
sort of said to him, oh, I wouldn't mind playing cricket, he was all for it. And um, he was sort of my first coach, which I think most, most parents are, who used to take me over to the net, um, which weren't so far from our house. And, um, yeah, he was sort of the first person who kind of helped me out with my game. So um, he was great. And, and as soon as I got involved, um, mum was fantastic at, um, you know, getting involved. She actually um, was an administrator as well in cricket. Um, a bit later on in my career, she ran a cricket club. Um, just yeah. sort of helped me and my sister out. So Now, yeah. I, I understand your mum was the one that got the Walls End cricket team together, the first out-of-Sydney team to play in the Sydney Cricket Association first-grade competition. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. So mum, as I say, like, had no experience in cricket, but um, she was a pretty um, good businesswoman and, and she sort of saw the, that there was an opportunity there and, and I was going to move to Sydney to to play cricket um, when, when I needed to sort of go up the grades to play first grade, second grade. And, and there was a lot of girls at the time in Newcastle who were good enough to play um, first grade and second grade. Um, so rather than kind of create a Sydney team, uh, sorry, go and join a Sydney team, um, it sort of made more sense for us to stay together as a group and that way we could train in Newcastle through the week um, as a unit. So, yeah, mum was really good in sort of bringing all that together and um, helping us to get a, get a team. And your sister Candice played in that team, is that right? And Sarah Andrews, who went on to represent Australia, was that um, was that a couple That's of correct. yeah, yeah. C- couple of your uh, good friends over the years? Yeah, so they, those guys played there, and my sister played. Uh, Jenny Wallace, who went on to play for New South Wales and Western Australia, played in it as well. Um, and so, yeah, we, we had a, a number of, you know, really good players in that group and um, people who I'm still friends with to this day. Sarah, Sarah Andrews is my best friend and um, even post-cricket, you know, we're still really close. So, yeah, it was a really special thing to be a part of and, um, yeah, some amazing friendships come out of that. And so what was your progression? You're playing club cricket and then you find your way into the kind of elite pathway playing in the country champs and then playing in the New South Wales under-17s team. How, how did you kind of progress through the ranks? Yeah, well, that was pretty much it. So at, at the time, it was um, New South Wales under-17s and 19s. Um, so my first uh, experience representing New South Wales was in those underage programs. Um, so it's probably not too different to what happens to uh, at today um, for the girls. So I, I, I played in those pathway teams and um, we had a very strong New South Wales senior team at that point with Belinda Clark leading and um, names like Lisa Kitely, Julie Hayes, Lisa Stalaker. So I certainly didn't think playing junior cricket for New South Wales was going to get me in that senior team. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a, a big jump, I suppose, when I, when I finally did get selected in the New South Wales Breakers squad. Um, just to be around those girls and train with them for a few years. And um, I think even after I'd been in the squad for, for two or three years, I, di- I didn't see myself, you know, being a key player in that environment just because it was so strong. And you mentioned Belinda Clark. She's another Newcastle girl growing up. And um, I think Sally Griffiths as well from Newcastle. Were they people that you looked up and aspired to be like or were there some other prominent cricketers that you could name as influencers uh, as you were growing up? Well, Belinda was definitely, I mean, growing up really young, um, it was unfortunate that, that there was just no women's cricket in the media or on TV. So Belinda Clark was off doing her thing and captaining Australia, um, and I knew nothing about her until I 
got a bit older and, and entered some of those squads, the 17s and 19s pathway teams. So, um, but once I did know who Belinda Clark was, um, she certainly was a, a role model for me. Um, she was a top order bat. Um, she was, uh, you know, just an amazing technician in how she played. But she, the thing about Belinda was she's such a great leader. Um, and she actually emailed me out of nowhere. I, I didn't even think she knew my name. But when I first made the New South Wales squad, um, she she was actually, she just moved to Victoria and she wrote me an email and said, you know, it's great that someone else from Newcastle is, is now playing for New South Wales and all the best with it. And I thought um, that sort of says a lot about what sort of person she was. Um, for us to have not even really met properly, but for her to know who I was and know a bit about the region and just following cricket um, in the Newcastle area, I think, it, yeah, it sort of speaks to what a great leader she is and how, how invested she is in the game. Absolutely. Yeah, that's tremendous to hear a story like that. Um, she was the the icon, really, of Australian women's cricket at the time. Um, now, you mentioned uh, you were playing up at Walls End and whatnot. I also understand you were part of the Hunter Academy of Sport first ever female program. Was that uh, – is that correct? Well, yeah, I, don't, I didn't know that it was the first ever one. Um, but certainly at the time that I was coming through in Newcastle um, – Cricket was just really starting to get big for women. Um, so there, I think there were a lot of firsts around that time, and um, I was just lucky that you know all those things were starting to evolve just as I was coming through. It was the first time that um, Newcastle had had a, a club um, structure for women as well. So um, all of those things, you know, certainly helped me in, in being involved in cricket and staying involved. And then breaking into the New South Wales Breakers team, you mentioned that was a very strong era for New South Wales cricket. Uh, I think you you would have played in something like 10 WNCL winning teams. Um, What was it like coming in to that group? Yeah, well, um, as I said, when I first got in there, it it wasn't sort of, oh, I'm in the squad, I'll be in the team and if I'm in the team, I'll submit my place and... It, it, I was looking at those players, they were they were just so good. I mean, I think at the time there was about seven or eight girls from that New South Wales side who were, who formed the Australian side um, and had been a part of that Australian side for some time. So, um, you know, that, that was pretty cemented in terms of who did what in that side. And um, for me as a young player coming through and um, having ambitions of starting at the top of the order, um, it seems like a long way away, but... At the same time, um, I was happy to wait because I knew I was in such a great training environment and if there was anything to learn, um, you know, it, it would happen at those training sessions. So um, it was a pretty cool thing to be a part of. I, I probably sat in awe for the first few years um, going in. Um, but then, yeah, once once I'd sort of got my spot and I started to work my way up the order, um, you know, I really started to feel like I was a part of it. And you're captaining Australia under-19s around the same time. Did you find your experience with the Breakers helped you in that leadership role uh, representing Australia? Well, yes and no. I think um, I, I was also captaining the New South Wales pathway teams at the time, so that was probably the biggest help to me then. Um, but I think as a young captain, you learn so much on the job. Um, there's only so much that you experience you can bring to a role when you're that age. Um so I learnt heaps about, you know, being a part of teams and um, the tactical um, side of the game just literally by, you know, learning on the job. Um, so that was a really cool thing to do. Um, it's, it's such a tough job to be a young captain in, in teams like that. And I still, you know, as I'm coaching girls now, I sort of reflect back on that and 
um, yeah, it, you know, you've got all these different personalities coming together. You, you try to do well in your own game as well. Um, so it can be a really tough job. So, um, yeah, I, I try and give the, the kids who are in those leadership positions as much support as possible these days. And your progression into international cricket, so you make your debut for New South Wales in 2002. It's another four years before you enter one-day international cricket for Australia. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how you found out you were going to be playing for Australia and, and what what you expected from yourself uh, going in into that new environment? I, I can't tell you exactly how I found out, but back in those days it was probably a letter. Wow, <laughs> and I, I was chatting to I was chatting to someone about this the other day about how now you know it's a phone call and um, that's still really cool. But um, back in the day when you got selected in anything big, whether it was a squad or a team, you'd, you'd get a letter in the mail, and it, it was that really cool moment where you see this letter. <laughs> um, you check the letterbox, you see this letter come, and you don't recognise you know where it's from. And you think, is it? Is it? And then you open it, and there's this really cool moment where you read it, and you can see the letterhead at the top, and then you read your name, and um, it's actually a really cool thing. And I think that's that's um, unfortunately it will never happen again because emails and phone calls are so easy. But um, it was a really cool thing to receive a letter back then and um, actually read that you've been selected. I think that was really cool. But um, the, the first time I got selected was uh, for a home series against New Zealand and I think actually Susie Bates and Sophie Devine debuted in that season as well um, but it was a, a bit of a, um, a sad day and, 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 a, and a great day as well because it was Alex Blackwell who I, who I came in for who was um, still one of my best mates today um, she went down with a knee injury which meant she was unavailable so uh, I came in to replace her so a um, bit of a double-edged sword but um yeah, she came back and, had, and did great things, so I was grateful too close for her. And, and you make 100 in your third ODI. Can you talk us through the emotions there? Yeah, well, actually, I got a duck in my first game. My first <laughs> oh, game I, was, I was trying I to a... wash over that for you, Leah, so we didn't have to mention <laughs> no, it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, got a, I think I got a duck in my, in my first game, and then I, I can't even remember how many. I got my second game, but it must have been about 20, but... Um, that point was really important because it meant that I started to feel a little bit more comfortable at the crease. And yeah, um, but yeah, even though just a handful of runs in that second game, I think I started to feel like, um, you know, not, not as overwhelmed and um, that I was capable of doing something at that level. And then it was really nice that um, in that third game, I could score that. Um, actually, in my fourth game, I think I scored 60 odd and I felt like I was hitting the ball better and, and Lucy felt like a bending out, which I reminder of. <laughs> Every time I see her, but uh, yeah, so it was it was a, an up and down kind of first series for me, but yeah, really enjoyable. And you play a home World Cup, I noticed as well. And one of the games in the home World Cup was at Newcastle. How was it playing in front of your family and friends in a in a World Cup match? It was pretty cool. So it was back in the day when the crowds weren't huge, so you could literally stand out in the field and kind of pick out faces um, <laughs> pretty clearly. So I think I, I knew half the people in the crowd that day, um, which was really nice. Um, so, yeah, I reflect back on that day often and, and think about how, how cool that was. And in a T20 point of view, uh, you, you play, you've played test cricket, you've played 50-over cricket, you've played 20-20 cricket. You, you're the first New South Wales woman to score a domestic T20 century. Did you... 
do you see yourself as being someone who was a bit of a, an aggressive batter or did that just kind of um, just fall into place for you there playing 2020 cricket? Did, did you like the format? I absolutely loved T20 when it came onto the scene. I, I think it really suited the way that I that I played the game. I, I probably battled with how to play 50 over cricket my whole career. Even when I retired, I probably wasn't settled on on how how all the best way to play was. Um, I, I suppose I, I played similar to like an Alyssa Healy does now, where you just sort of go out and um, you know your natural instinct is to want to score runs and you know and hit the ball big, but. Um, so T20 was great for me that it meant I actually had a life to do what I love doing. Um, so once, yeah, once that format came into play, um, it really re- reinvigorated me and I actually, uh, retired from Australia in 50 over cricket, um, but still made myself available for T20, um, because I loved it so much. And you got to be a part of two World Cup campaigns. I want to ask you about 2010 because in the recent Men's World Cup, it was decided, uh, on a on a super over, which ended up being a tie, and they did a count back back to boundaries. Now, I understand in the 2010 World Cup, you played against England in one of the opening round matches, and it was tied, and it was a super over, and it went back to a count back on most sixes hit. And I think Jess Cameron or Jeff, I don't know if she was Jess Cameron or Jeff, Jess Duffin at that point in time, but um, she'd hit a six. Uh, and you, you got to bat in that super over. What was it like being a part of uh, such a tight scenario in a World Cup? Yeah, it was, it was pretty surreal. We'd actually practiced uh, super overs a lot leading in. It was around the time when super overs, you know, first became a thing. In fact, I actually played a game um, back before super overs was the way to, to finish it. We actually did something called a bowl off. Oh, I don't yes. know if you've ever heard yeah, of Yeah, I love the bowl off. I love the bowl off. <laughs> So we actually, I was involved in a bowl off as well. <laughs> I didn't bowl, thank, thank goodness, but um, I was involved in one of those. But, but leading into that World Cup, um, you know, it was, I, I suppose that T20 was still in its infancy um, in terms of people knowing how to play it and, and the, the concept of the Super Over, you know, no one had really ever played one before. So we'd actually practiced it quite a lot leading in. Um, we had a format that Shelley Nitschke and I would, would bat together in a super over. And I reckon we trained it about 10 times and we were horrible at it. <laughs> and, and we would just laugh and say, well, you know, this isn't working. Like, you're going to have to go with somebody else. And then in this World Cup, when, when it actually happened, I think Shelley and I just looked at each other and, and just started laughing and was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, but as it was, yeah, we, we had a, a draw in that um, super over. And, uh, yeah, lucky that Jess, just to hit that boundary. I think it was pretty big ground that day too, so she didn't want to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you have that um, final, you get to the final that year and you top score in the final, which is a, a really tight game. Um, you, you win by three runs. Can you talk us through the final? Yeah, yeah, it was a really low-scoring match. Um, from memory, it, the boys had played before us on that wicket Um and I think it was to do, given that it was in the West Indies, it was to do with broadcast. So we, we actually, it was a, a double header, but we, we played second, um, which was quite unique as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a really low-scoring game. I think that those conditions, I don't think they were terrible, but they had had a bit of cricket on it. It was quite slow. Um, and I, I can't remember the exact score, but it was sort of under 120, 110 or something like that. Um, and, you know, as, as it was... We knew it probably wasn't enough. 
Um, but you've got to make it enough in a final. And I remember our fielding effort was just outstanding and Shelley Nitschke and Elise Perry, they, they were just instrumental in that, Lisa Salaka. Um, and, yeah, it was one of those finishes that um, it would be quite famous, really. Like, I think in the history of women's cricket, like, that, that'll be one of the finishes that go down as, you know, just a really great game and um, quite iconic in the way that Elise Perry, who was playing soccer for Australia at the time, stuck her foot out yeah. <laughs> and stopped the ball. Like, it's the sort of stuff that, you know, it's like a, a script for a movie. Um and yeah, we, we got home and um, you know had a, had an amazing celebration with the Australian men and who were still there watching us. Yeah, that would have been incredible. And um, how were the men's team with with the? How was the interaction between the players back then? Well, and it, we didn't hardly see them. I think that that was one of the first times that we'd actually kind of come together as two teams. We got there early to watch their game and support them, and they stayed on um, to watch us. And it's just so tough because. Um, you know, those ICEC events, um, when they were run together, it was really the only time that the two teams would interact because we were in the same place at the same time. Yeah. Um, but they were great. You know, they, they came into the dressing rooms with us after and celebrated with us. And um, we went out that night together as two teams as well. And, um, yeah, it was really good fun. Oh, fantastic. Now, you mentioned T20 cricket being one of your favourite formats. I need to ask you, though, you're – Baggy Green, number 158 for Australia. Um, you, you got to play two test matches. Tell us about your, your test match experience. You got to play one over in England and one over here in Australia. Um, what, what, was, what, what did it mean to you to put on that Baggy Green cap for Australia? Yeah, I think, you know, cricket's a sport that um, owes a lot to its traditions and um, it, you feel very close to the past when you play a test match, um, you know, wearing all white and you've got that iconic hat um, and you actually just feel like um, you know, you're really a part of something and, and not that you don't when you're playing short format cricket, but um, yeah, I think there's something about test cricket that just, um, it, it feels just really pure. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really special thing to be a part of. As I say, I only played in two, um, I certainly don't play a lot of, of test cricket, um, but I'm, I'm really, you know, honoured that I could have, I could be a part of that and, um, you know, have my name on a list next to some of the great players of their game. And, and an interesting scenario in that first test you played, Australia were in a lot of trouble uh, in that game. I think something like five for 28 and then... Yeah, I contributed to that. Problem, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can probably gloss over that as well if you like, but... Yeah. <laughs> Jodie Fields, uh, a magnificent 139, and Rachel Haynes, 98, um, bringing Australia back back into that game that, that could have gone quite pear-shaped, ended up being a draw. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember. So because we don't play a lot, I mean, we'd sat down and had a, a number of meetings where we spoke about, you know, what success looks like across different periods. So, you know, what you'd like to be each session and, um, what, what a good run rate was. And we sort of sat down and worked out all that stuff. And then when we were 5 to 30 or, or whatever it was, I think we were all just sitting in the change rooms going, oh, my gosh, like, what, what are we going to do here? And and because we hadn't played a lot and we hadn't been a part of the collapse like that before, I think everybody was just kind of scratching their heads going, what have we done? You know, how, how on earth are we going to get out of it? But um, both Jody and Rach, are, um, you know, they're, they're two of the most level-headed people in our game. 
Um, they're both quite famous for just how they stand up under pressure. So, um, yeah, just amazing that they could have a, a, a you know such a big partnership like that. And the way that they played as well, you know, you'd think if you were five down for nothing, um, you'd have to go out there and you ha- you'd have to have this, you know, really big period of rebuilding. But from memory, I, I think they just started smart the whole time. You know, they were, they were looking to score. Um, they ran really well, which is another kind of hallmark of their game. Um, and it was a really special thing to watch. And your, your second test back at home in, in Australia, um, any differences playing overseas and at home? Did you did, – or, or are they just unique and uh, really good in their own right? Well, I think they're both, you know, really good in their own right. Obviously, that second one um, at Bankstown Oval, it was, was when Renee Farrell took the, the hat trick. The hat trick, yeah. Um, so that, that was amazing spare titles as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're both memorable for different reasons. Obviously, the England one because we had that collapse and then that amazing partnership. Um, the Sydney one because of the, the Renee Farrell hat trick, but also Sarah Elliott, um, had been away from the game a little bit. Um, she, um, uh, had a baby and, and come back and managed to score a hundred, um, in her return test. And, um, so I think that's the great thing about cricket, you know, like every, every game, has got its stories and, um, yeah, when you reflect back on it, you, you think of those, you know, just those amazing individual contributions to a team result. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask you about travelling overseas. You spent the winter of 2008 at Nottinghamshire. Is is that something that uh, happens a lot in the female game or was, were you kind of one, one of the, the first group of players to, to take that option of playing some cricket in the winter in England? Um, I, I think it was happening a little bit. I don't think anywhere near to the extent that the, the men were doing it at that time. Um, but the story for me was I'd actually been dropped from the Australian side and, and Lisa Kitely had just come on as the Australian coach. Um, and we'd had a chat about what I needed to do to get back and, um, you know, the part of my game that she wanted me to work on. And um, she was really good in just saying, look, I, I think you just need to spend more time in the middle and, you know, learn your craft, but you're still young. Um, you know, go and get as much experience as you can. It was actually her idea. She, she was the one who said, okay. you know, I think, you know, if you can go to England and play a season over there and, and get some experience in this condition, um, then that would be really good for you. And, and I think at the time, CA actually funded me to go over. Wow. Um, they didn't support me when I was there, but they flew me over and back. Great. Um, and I played not only for Nottinghamshire, but I played in um, a competition they call their Super Forward. Um, which has since been replaced by the Kia Super League and uh, the, the hundreds that start, start this year. But that was their version of WNCL. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I played in that as well. So that, that was an amazing experience. I learned a lot from – I played with a, a lady named Claire Taylor who was uh, the best batter in the world at that point. Um, and, yeah, I, I batted with her. I can batting with her. And um, I learned a lot about cricket from her uh, and that experience. So – uh, it's a bit tougher these days with um, the visa restrictions and stuff about being able to go over to England and play. It's a lot um, more difficult for young players to do it, but I would say that it was one of the best experiences of my career. And if any young player wanted to go and get experience, not just in England, but in, in different conditions around the world, um, <clears throat> I would say that that's you know, one of the best things you can do as a young player. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you are spending a lot of time working with young players at the moment. You're a qualified school teacher, but you're also involved in the 
talent coaching pathway. Can you tell us a bit about what your involvement in cricket today is and um, what, what you kind of spend your time doing? Yes, I'm um, employed at the moment by Cricket Australia full-time and um, the title of my role is High Performance Coach um, and the programs that I sort of look after are, are anything, any of the Australian programs under the Australian women's team. So um, everything from under-15s up to Australia 8 um, kind of fall um, inside my my scope, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, and I suppose that the, the crux of the role is making sure that there's a... Um, you know, a talent pathway for, you know, the next Meg Lanning, next Elise Perry, and ensure that the next generation of Australian cricketers are, are there um, as required. So, yeah, it's, it's a really great role. I get to work with kids right from sort of 14 years of age um, up until, you know, women in their 30s who, who all have the same ambition of um, being the best they can be at cricket and, and you know, have that aspiration of representing their country. So... Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing job. And do you have any involvement in the upcoming T20 World Cup or will you just be an avid observer of that? No, I'll just be a fan, yeah. I, I don't have a, an official role. Um, I, I've been a, with the team a little bit. We, we had the tri-series against India and England um, just recently and I, I ran a CA11 team who, who played against um, the team who finished third, so we played against England the other week. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been in and around the group um, a lot over the last few months. But um, in terms of the World Cup, um, I've, yeah, I've got the great chance just to sit and watch as a fan, which is going to be great. How good. That, that, that'll be great. And um, we're running out of time, so we probably need to wrap it up. But um, just finally, our our listeners love to know the answer to this last question we have if, if you could have a net session with anyone uh living or dead who would you choose to have a net with who would you most like to spend an hour in the nets with if you could yeah well i actually thought about this a little bit and thought of all these people who i'd like to have a net with but i really wouldn't like to face anymore <laughs> um, <laughs> But probably the bowler who I really enjoyed facing because um, it was always just a, a really good battle and I have a lot of respect for her was uh, Julian Goswami, who was the Indian fast bowler. Um, she was really cool. She, she swung the ball in and away from the right-hander and got a bit off the seam and uh, had a, a lot of really great battles with her over the years. So I'd, I'd love to face her again. Yeah. Um, I saw Brian Lara bat um, at the bushfire match down at Junction the other week and I was just captivated with just how he played and he looked like he hadn't missed a beat and he could play for West Finish tomorrow so yeah. I'd love to um, have, have a hit with him at the other end and, and get some tips um, and probably the other one and it's probably every Australian's dream is just to face Shane Waterman as well um, yeah. and see if I can uh, yeah, navigate his slipper that'd be good <laughs> Yeah, no, that sounds outstanding. Brian, Lara and Warney have both had previous nominations from previous guests, so uh, you're in very good company there. Maybe we could maybe we could get Cricket Library guest uh, podcast net session together sometime. So, Brian, Lara, if you're listening, or Warney, um, make it happen. Get Jalan over as well. Yeah, Jalan Goswami, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Put her in the mix. Sounds great. Well, yeah. um, can't thank you enough for joining us on the podcast today, Leah. I've really thoroughly enjoyed uh, listening to your story and, um, yeah, wish you all, all the best for your future endeavours. Yeah, no, thanks very much for having me on, Matt. It's been fun.
A massive thanks to Leah Poulton for joining us on the Cricket Library podcast. And what a good net session that would be. Jalan Goswami, Brian Charles Lara, Shane Keith Warne, Leah Poulton, absolutely outstanding. And what a story. Isn't it great to hear of the, the little girl in Newcastle who used to play on the street with her friends, uh, getting coached by a dad along the way, uh, having a mum who was involved in the sports administration of the Walls End Cricket Club to get them in that Sydney competition, her progression into the New South Wales Breakers, the highly successful Breakers team, captaining under-19s teams for Australia and doing everything in the game, really. Test matches, ODIs, T20 internationals, scoring hundreds, a phenomenal career and just really thankful that she was able to share those little parts of her story with us here on the program today and we wish her all the best with her future endeavours working now with the next crop of talent that's coming through Australian cricket at the moment and it's a very exciting time in Australian women's cricket at the moment with some of the players that Leah would be working with at the moment and be interesting to see who the next big stars are going to be in the coming years. Well, between now and next time you hear from me, hopefully you'll take the time to subscribe, rate and review the Cricket Library podcast at your favourite podcast provider. Uh, Catch up on some old episodes. Hopefully this will inspire you to listen to some of our previous episodes with some of the guests we've had on the program. It's always a pleasure having conversations about cricket and today was no different and it's time to say goodbye. But until next time, this has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library Podcast. Bye for now.